Welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Locked On Buckeyes podcast. I am the show host, the captain of the ship, Kyle Lamb. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for making Locked On Buckeyes a part of your day. Today, tonight actually, is the debut of the 2019 college football playoff rankings. The first one, week 10 rankings, will be out on Tuesday tonight. That is between 9 and 9.30 on ESPN. I'm going to tell you why. I think the committee is going to get it right tonight, but don't mistake that as a tactical endorsement of the committee as a whole. I will explain that coming up here in just a minute. Also in segment two, Ohio State basketball tipping off tomorrow at 8.30 on FS1. I'll tell you why I'm excited for this game and why Cincinnati presents a real challenge for the Buckeyes out of the gate. And in the third segment today, talk about Ohio State, Maryland, why I think Ohio State is going to have a motivational advantage for this game despite the lopsided nature, 42-point spread. We'll also talk a little bit of Big Ten East, how Maryland, Rutgers, Indiana, all are filling in the gaps from the bottom up of the Big Ten East, and we'll talk some coaching changes. All that coming up today on Locked on Buckeyes. You can hear Locked on Buckeyes daily, five days a week, Monday through Friday, on your favorite podcasting platform. That includes Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or by saying, play Locked on Buckeyes on your smart speakers. Plenty of ways. Please spread cheer, spread joy, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your friends' families about Locked on Buckeyes. Hope more of you will join us for our podcasting pleasure here on the Locked on Podcast Network. Of course, you can also catch me on Unscripted Ohio, my own podcasting platform. More Ohio State content and Ohio sports content over there on Unscripted Ohio as well. Hope you'll join me on both platforms. Tonight is the debut of the 2019 college football playoff rankings. That'll be broadcast on ESPN from 9 to 9.30. I'm going to level with you. It's not that I'm gung-ho about the rankings, about the committee itself. In fact, I'm very jaded. I'm cynical. I'm skeptical when it comes to the playoff committee. I have seen time and time again since the formation of the committee, especially since the second year on, I thought the first year they got it right, not just because Ohio State was in the playoff, but I liked the process. I liked the rationale for the selections. But ever since then, I have been skeptical. I have been jaded because I've seen the committee be perceived to buckle under pressure when it comes to the final rankings. Now, as they apl- or as it applies to tonight's rankings, I actually think the committee will get it right. And when I say right, that's subjective. But I do believe tonight you are going to see Ohio State and LSU 1 and 2 in some order. I wouldn't be surprised by either one. There is the perception of LSU's wins being Texas, Florida, and Auburn being better than anything else anyone has done. And I would argue that's probably true. Funny thing is, you could argue it is the best trio of wins in college football and simultaneously argue it's the most overrated wins in college football. Texas is no longer ranked. Auburn is not a very good football team offensively. They've got a good defense, but man, if you saw them against Ole Miss this past weekend, they're just not a very good football team. Ole Miss had a chance to win that game on the final drive. 
it, it's it's not a great Auburn team that they beat. Florida is not a great team. LSU does have the best wins in college football as a, as a trio. They are also the most overrated wins in college football. Those two are not mutually exclusive. But I think LSU could be justified, number one, because of the strength of schedule. Interestingly, though, in most metrics, including Sagarin, S&P Plus, TeamRankings.com, most metrics actually have Ohio State having the best strength of schedule of that group of teams that are expected to battle for the top five spots or the top four spots in the initial playoff rankings. When it comes to tonight, I think Ohio State will be number one. And I think the reason being will be due to that strength of schedule being better one through nine or one through eight, I should say, over LSU. You can't just cherry pick the top two or three wins. You have to look at the entire body of work. I think due to that body of work, Ohio State will be number one over LSU, not just because of strength of schedule, not just because of depth of wins, but also because of strength of record. Those metrics, depending on where you get them from, are comparable, LSU and Ohio State. Game control is a big one. If you go by ESPN's game control metric, Ohio State is number one, Bama is number two. You're not going to find a significantly different deviation from that. There are a number of ways to come up with a game control metric, but the gist of it is the same in every instance. You're measuring how often, how frequently a team was winning the game. Some metrics go by probability of winning play-by-play. Others go by time trailing or time leading in the game. Different ways to skin a cat, but they all give you the same type of result. They tell you how dominant from start to finish a team has been. And Ohio State is number one in every game control metric I have seen. ESPN's has Bama number two, and and that's consistent. Ohio State has only trailed for about four minutes the entire season. Bama's trailed for, I believe, five or six minutes. So they're pretty comparable. By the way, in ESPN's game control metric, LSU is fifth. So when you add in game control and the eye test, which Ohio State wins by most reasonable measures, there are some people out there holding out saying that Ohio State isn't the best team. Everybody has a right to an opinion. I'm just not sure what you're watching. But I think it's fair to say Ohio State and LSU are the two best teams in the country right now, either by merit or by eye test. Depends what you want to weigh heavily, more heavily. I think the merit is pretty equal. I think the eye test goes to Ohio State. That's why I think Ohio State will be number one in the rankings tonight. But I think it'll be LSU and Ohio State one and two in some order. I think it'll be Ohio State. Then I think Alabama, Penn State, and Clemson will be two or will be three, four, and five in some various order. I actually think tonight there is a chance we see Penn State number three and Alabama number four. Or Alabama number three, Penn State number four. I think Penn State will be ahead of Clemson. I have seen many of you remark that Clemson will be number one or number two or number three because of the defending champs situation. 
But there is no precedent for that in the first five years of the rankings. Alabama, two years, has been number one in the initial rankings as defending champs. But the other three years, 2014, Florida State was not number one. 2015, Ohio State was not number one. And then in 2017, Clemson, as defending champs, with one loss, was actually behind Notre Dame, who also had one loss. So I I do not believe that the committee is going to put Clemson ahead of Alabama or Ohio State or LSU. They may not even put them ahead of Penn State. I don't think there's anything to the argument that the committee goes by the Associated Press and just wants to copycat based on politics. If that is the case, it is not the case early in the rankings. If I have one applause... I have one good thing to say about the committee, and this is really reaching, but I will say it anyhow. It's, I think, in the early rankings, the committee has actually tried to blaze its own trail, to make its own path. They have tried to show that they are willing to do something different than the AP. They've had a willingness to change teams and change the order of teams more so than the AP's outdated and archaic way of thinking. The first three or four rankings each year, I think the playoff committee has done an admirable job. Admirable job. It's when you get to the end that has bothered me. That's where the cynicism comes in for me. I don't believe this is an SEC conspiracy. I don't think it's catering to the SEC and the networks and the money. But I do think the committee has buckled under pressure. In 2017, we saw the committee chair say in no uncertain terms that it was a razor-thin margin between Alabama, who was not playing in the SEC championship, and Ohio State, who was playing in the Big Ten Championship. With that razor-thin margin, in effect, going into the championship, Ohio State then knocked off an undefeated Wisconsin team who was in the top four of the committee's own rankings. It stands to reason that that razor-thin margin would have been wiped out by a Big Ten championship, an additional win over an undefeated team, which is also an additional quality win, and another top 25 win, which Ohio State would have had an extra above and beyond what Alabama did. But despite that razor-thin margin, despite that win over a undefeated Wisconsin team, Ohio State did not pass Alabama, and Alabama went to the playoff. Ohio State did not. I'm not bothered by Alabama getting in over Ohio State necessarily in principle. I am bothered by that after telling me that conference championships matter and there was a razor-thin margin, which is supposed to define when a conference championship takes precedent. The problem here is that it's not a one-time thing. I saw Heather Dennis of ESPN on Twitter claim on Monday, that the situations where a conference champ did not stay ahead of a non-conference champ was an anomaly. But that's the problem. It's not. 
In 2015, we saw one loss Iowa, who lost to Michigan State, finish ahead of Stanford in the, the standings. Two loss Stanford, who won the Pac-12 championship. You may say, well, it doesn't matter because that wasn't the top four, and it doesn't matter after the top four. Well, I, I disagree there. It actually does matter because the college football playoff committee is not just determining the playoff the playoff participants, they're also determining the bowls. Most of the bowls now are using their standings to determine who goes in what order for each conference. So it matters beyond that. But it's also a matter of consistency. Do you want the committee shutting off the brains after they get the first four done and not applying the same principles and logic to the rest of the rankings? Because to me, that would signify a problem intellectually with this committee. If they're not being consistent, that scares me, that worries me. But it's not just the Iowa example. It's every year we have seen an example just like this. In 2016, of course, we we all know one loss Ohio State got in over two loss Penn State, despite Ohio State losing to Penn State. Now that one may have been justified. It's, it's not that any of these examples necessarily are bad, but when taken in aggregate, there is a pattern here. Ohio State did get in ahead of Penn State because they had three top 10 wins. They were a one-loss team whose only loss was on the road to a top 10 team. So Ohio State probably deserved to be in. In 2017, I've got two examples for you. Not only did Bama get in as one-loss non, non-conference champion over two-loss Ohio State, But additionally, a three-loss Auburn team finished ahead of a two-loss Pac-12 champion USC. One more for you. Last year, you remember the result of Ohio State not getting in to the college football playoff, Oklahoma getting there instead. That is an issue of, hey, We value Oklahoma more than we value Ohio State. Okay, I get it. They went to such great lengths to value Oklahoma's offense and make excuses for their defense. But then, in the same breath, they were criticizing how bad Ohio State's defense was as the reason that they didn't get in. Again, more inconsistency. You can justify and rationalize whatever you want. But the biggest problem for me, intellectually, and lack of consistency was two lost Georgia, who lost to Alabama in the SEC championship, being ahead of one lost conference champion Ohio State. So not only did Ohio State not get in last year, but they actually finished behind Georgia, two lost Georgia, in the final standings. So it's not an anomaly. It's each and every year we have seen this happen. What I want is clarity and consistency. If you're telling us this is important, it shouldn't be happening with this frequency. If it is happening, then it's not important. Do away with the regulation altogether. And that would be disappointing for me because I think it's a good stipulation, but it's not being followed. So let me roll it back. Tonight, as far as the first rankings, I think the committee will do a good job. I think they're going to use all the metrics, all the statistics, the analysis, the film, watching the eye test, watching games, 
I think it's all going to matter, and I think they're going to put their best foot forward tonight. I think they usually do. Where my skepticism comes in is when it gets to the final polls, that's when things go haywire. And I'm not sure it's a conspiracy. I'm not sure it's some scheme to put other conferences or other teams in the playoff. I do think they do buckle under pressure. The pressure created by the media, the pressure created by college football fans as a whole. And that's where I think you should be concerned. Not the first rankings, not the second, not the third, but the final ones. Does the consistency hold up? Do the ideals and the principles that they have informing the rankings the first several weeks, does it hold and come out in the final rankings? That's what I'll be watching for. The good news this year is Ohio State has created such an advantage for themselves. By the way, they've played so far this season. They're out way ahead of the pack, and I think you'll see that in the rankings tonight. If Ohio State keeps winning, it's not going to matter. The committee will put them number one when all is said and done. I'm pretty sure of that. Ohio State gave them opportunities to be inconsistent in the past. And it's not really fair. Ohio State has been on every side of it. They finished 7th in 2015 despite being inarguably one of the four best teams. But yet Bama was able to benefit from the same in 2017 with one loss, not being a conference champion, when Ohio State did not get the same benefit of the doubt. And they finished behind one loss, Bama, when in 2015... They actually finished behind two loss, Stanford, who won a conference championship. And last year, finished behind two loss, Georgia, who did not win a conference championship. So Ohio State has not had the benefit of consistency. That's all I'm asking for. I don't think it's a conspiracy. I don't think it's some plot to put in the SEC. But I do think the committee buckles under pressure. But I don't think that's coming into play tonight. And tonight it'll be LSU or Ohio State 1-2. and two. Bama, Penn State, Clemson. Three through five. Coming up, we'll talk some more Ohio State, a little bit of basketball as well. Coming up in the third segment of Locked On Buckeyes, we're going to talk Ohio State, Maryland, why I think the Buckeyes have a motivational edge in this one. Really crazy to see the plight of the Maryland Terrapins this year. Coming out like gangbusters in games one and two, albeit against Howard and what we have now learned is a pretty mediocre Syracuse team. But still, they looked really good in the first two weeks, and boy, have they gone downhill in a hurry. Some of it is injuries, uh, but a lot of it is just being bad. It's not that they're terrible all the way around. They have some talented players on that roster, but they are not a very good team right now. Ohio State is 42-point favorites. I'll talk about the motivational edge and also what's going on with a couple coaching changes in the country, USC, now Florida State, Rutgers apparently on the heels, on the verge, I'm sorry, of hiring its coach, and I'll talk about that, and could there be another opening in the Big Ten East? We'll get into that in the third segment, but as you know, Ohio State basketball tipping it off, season opener Wednesday night at Value City Arena against the UC Bearcats. That game is an 8.30 tip at Value City Arena. It is going to be on FS1, Tim Brando, and former Buckeye Jim Jackson on the call. This is a good opponent for Ohio State, a good way to start the season. Probably better than the Cincinnati team they beat last year, at least offensively. 
The Bearcats return their leading three scorers. Of course, there's an intrigue to this game because it's not Mick Cronin, so it's probably not going to be the grind-it-out, slow-it-out type of pace and physicality that they played against last year in the season opener down there in the renovated fifth-third arena. Might be a little bit more up-tempo, especially since Ohio State's probably more willing to run this year. So I expect this to be a little bit higher pace. I think this game may creep into the 70s, although I, I did predict 68-65 Ohio State on the Cincinnati Slingin', Cincy Slingin' podcast, a podcast covering the Cincinnati Bearcats. I was on as a guest there a couple days ago. I predicted 68-65, but I thought more about it, and I actually would probably still pick Ohio State by a few points. But I would be more apt to pick in the 70s in this one because they've got Jaron Cumberland back. They've got Williams back, their second-leading scorer. This is going to be, I think, a higher-scoring game. Ohio State has a tough test here. This, this is about as tough as you could get for this type of game. Of course, it's not one versus two like Kentucky-Michigan State. Interesting anecdote with that, the Spartans and, and Wildcats tipping it off tonight, number one versus number two. It's the same week, same calendar week, as number one versus number two, Alabama LSU in football. First time that's ever happened in the AP. One versus two in basketball and football the same week. Really, really interesting anecdote there. But this is a tough opponent for Ohio State. Cincinnati has an experience and advantage it will be interesting to see the new style of play with John Brandon down there. But Ohio State has to come out playing, and, and I think there are some unknowns with this team. I mentioned the point guard situation a couple times here on the show. I really like where Ohio State is at with DJ Carton and CJ Walker. Carton is going to get all of the highlight reel plays. He's going to be, he's going to have the wow factor for Buckeye fans this year. Very, very talented. Definitely the most talented they've had at point guard since D'Angelo Russell. He's up there in the same class as a D'Angelo Russell, Mike Conley, as far as talent is concerned. Got, got the ability to be that kind of player. Let's put it this way. Maybe it's, that's an unfair label. I don't know that he's as talented as those guys right now, but he's got that kind of potential. Somebody mentioned, actually... When I was referring, when I was discussing the alley oop from EJ Lydell in the Cedarville exhibition, EJ Lydell being a power forward, the alley oop from Lydell to DJ Carton, you may have seen it on the highlights if you did not see it either in person or on stream. But I mentioned, when's the last time you saw a point guard at Ohio State be on the receiving end of an alley oop? It's just not something you see. Tony Gerdman of the Ozone replied, maybe Treg Lee to Mark Baker back in the early 90s. It's an interesting thought because I don't know if that's true or not. I didn't go back to see if he was on the receiving end of any alley-oops from Treg Lee. But I will say Mark Baker is an interesting reference to DJ Carton because in some ways, DJ Carton reminds me a little bit of Mark Baker because he's really, really quick. He's athletic. He's deadly in the open floor. He kind of has some of those same traits that Baker did. I would say the key difference that I've seen right now is DJ Carton has a natural shooting ability. He's probably a better shooter than Baker was. Baker was not a very good career shooter. I think off the top of my head, he was 26, 27% for his career. So he didn't shoot the three very well. But that is something that DJ Carton is developing. And he's probably ahead of pace. He had a couple three-pointers made the other night against Cedarville. And that was his 
one weakness, really, in his sophomore and junior years of high school, he was not considered a very good shooter. He did improve that a little bit as a senior, and from what I've seen so far in very limited action, it looks like he's got a chance to be an above-average shooter right out of the gate for Ohio State. That would be a big plus, because if he could take his one weakness and turn it into a strength, by the time he's already enrolled at Ohio State and playing in real action, that's scary for opponents because this guy is really good. But regardless of Carton's ability, don't forget about C.J. Walker. I've said several times I think this guy is going to be a fan favorite. He's not an Aaron Kraft defensively. He's not a Mike Conley with the ball. He's not a D'Angelo Russell passing the ball. You know, he doesn't have these standout traits or qualities that you remember in other point guards at Ohio State. But he's an all-around solid point guard for Ohio State that will fill a valuable role in settling the offense, creating plays, playing hard-nosed defense, being a leader, making some shots when they need him to. He is a great mentor and influence to have around DJ Carton. It allows DJ Carton to play loose and play less pressurized minutes without being counted on as a freshman. You never want your freshman point guard, if you can avoid it, to have to take on the burden of leading a team. And he's in a great situation this year because he doesn't have to worry about foul trouble. He doesn't have to worry about scoring, about being the team leader. They've got C.J. Walker for that. Carton just needs to come in, play relaxed, be himself, make plays that he's done so far throughout practice and, and scrimmage and exhibition. And Ohio State has a great situation there. So the Buckeyes and Bearcats tipping it off Wednesday. We'll talk more about this game tomorrow. Very excited for this. Again, 8.30 on FS1. Looking forward to this game. Should be a lot of fun. Great way to start the college basketball season. We'll be back to talk more Ohio State-Maryland in just a moment. Ohio State and Maryland this week. Buckeyes, 42-point favorite as I'm recording this. It opened at 44. It actually went down a little bit. This this might be a game, honestly, that Ohio State has a tough time covering. They're, they're on a streak now of, of seven consecutive uh, covers against the spread. This one is going to be tough. Anytime you get into 40-plus point territory against another power conference team, it's really difficult. I, I don't care how good you are. It, it's difficult to cover that kind of a spread. It, it, all it takes is a slow quarter or you know maybe a, a blocked punt or a, a defensive touchdown by the other team. Those kind of things, you can get backdoor covers. Maybe the second and third teamers don't play very well. Just so many things can happen with, with a big spread like that. So if I had to guess, this might be the game where Ohio State, it's not that I don't think they'll play well, but I'm not sure that they're going to cover 42 points. Now, that being said, while while I kind of tend, from a, from a gambling perspective, if you're looking at whether or not they cover the 42-point spread, I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to say no. I do think Ohio State will play well in this one. I, Maryland is a talented team. They jumped out looking really, really good in those first two games, and, and I don't think that that was an accident. It might have been a little bit of an anomaly, a little bit of an aberration. They, they weren't as good as they looked, and granted, one of those wins was FCS Howard, so it doesn't count for a lot. 
but Syracuse, no matter how bad they, they've been, the way Maryland handled them was still impressive. I, I don't think those games were total anomalies. I think somewhere along the line, Maryland lost its mojo, but they've got some talented players. I, I really like some of the guys that they have on offense. Even defensively, they're not totally without talent. I mentioned Keandre Jones the other day. He's having a great season for Maryland since transferring from Ohio State. So this is the kind of team that I think could give Ohio State a competitive game for two and a half, three quarters. I don't expect that to happen. I think Ohio State still wins by probably 35 points, something along those lines. I'm just not sure that they cover. But this is going to be interesting because I, I, I think Ohio State will go into this game with the defensive unit remembering what happened in College Park last year, giving up 50-plus points. And I think they're motivated to not let that happen again. And that's the one redeeming quality about this team is if they lose a game this year, which is certainly possible, I, I give all sorts of reminders on the podcast yesterday of why you, you have to go into this thinking Penn State, Michigan, et cetera, can beat them. So, so don't assume that that won't happen. But I, I do think Ohio State, if they lose a game, it's not going to be on account of a lack of focus. I think this team is focused. They're ready. I think they're going to go in treating every opponent with a workman business-like attitude. I think that they're going to respect and anticipate a game from every single team that they play. And I don't think Maryland is an example or any exception. I don't think Rutgers will be an exception next week. But we all know Rutgers and, and Maryland doesn't have the talent of Ohio State. So if Ohio State shows up and plays its game, uh, these two games are going to be ugly. And I think that's what's going to happen this week is I, I do think the defense will be locked in. I think that they're going to play a dominant performance and, and Maryland is going to find moving the ball very tough sledding against this defense. I think the offense will be fairly sharp. I'm not sure that they're going to have a field day. No pun intended. Uh, as, as far as some of the big outbursts that they've had offensively. But I, I look for this to be something along the lines of a 42-7 to 7 type of game. I think Ohio State will get it in the bag fairly early. Kind of cruise in the second half and, and just ho-hum. Ease their way into an easy win. As for Maryland, this is an interesting situation for them. Because the way they started the season, there was so much excitement there. Excitement over there in Maryland. And now you're looking at this Big Ten East, and it's not getting any easier at the top. Ohio State is what it is. Penn State, uh, they've had some setbacks in recruiting the last year or two. They seem to be rebounding on the field fairly well right now, but the depth, I think, will catch up with them. I don't know where they're—I'm not sure that they're going to fall too far, but I also don't think they'll continue to play at this level for too long. Michigan, they are what they are. Third place type of team in the Big Ten East, right? Where I think it gets interesting is is there was a report Sunday evening that Greg Schiano will be taking the Rutgers job or is close to accepting the Rutgers job. I don't anticipate Rutgers getting to the top to the top of the Big Ten anytime soon. They have a long way to go. They're dreadfully far behind in facilities, and bottom line is you need talent. I don't even see Greg Schiano getting Rutgers back to where they were when he had them in the Big East 
Of course, you all remember that big primetime game against Louisville. They had two top ten, two top uh, two top ten teams playing. That was a great game for Rutgers football. Exposure that they have not had since. I don't think they get back to that level, but I think Greg Schiano will recruit enough talent that they're going to be at least competitive, and that's going to make for an interesting bottom half of the Big Ten East the next several years because you've got Indiana playing really good football, some of the best that they've played in in a couple of decades. And Maryland, I do think, is going to have more talent the next couple of years than they've had in recent years with, with Loxley there. So you have Rutgers, Indiana, and Maryland, clearly a click behind Michigan State, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State. But I think it's going to make for a really interesting division. And what do you do if you're Michigan State right now? I said before the year, I thought it was trending to the end of the line for D'Antonio when he rearranged the deck chairs on the Titanic. Remember the offseason where instead of replacing any of his offensive staff, he played musical chairs with them. He just shifted them all into different roles. And the offense has not gotten any better. I feel bad for that defense. It's showing signs of weaknesses recently, but when you're on the field so much with an offense that just can't stay out there, can't move the ball, you can't expect your defense, even if it's a top 10 defense, you can't expect it to continue to perform at that level. I think with all of the off-field drama and the lack of big seasons here recently, they haven't had a really good season since 2015, I feel like this is the beginning of the end for the D'Antonio era at Michigan State. I'm not sure how much patience they're going to have, especially if, if they somehow miss a bowl game this year again. Right now they're 4-4. Four and four. They've got a chance to to pull together a decent season. If they can knock off Michigan, that's going to probably get some of the pressure off his back. But I'm just not sure we're ever going to see a Michigan State team back on top of the Big Ten again under D'Antonio. I'm not saying I don't want it to happen because I, I actually do respect Antonio as a coach. I respect what he's done with limited recruiting offensively. He's had some guys out there, but they don't recruit well enough consistently enough to beat Ohio State for a Big Ten title consistently. So I think the Big Ten East is going to get better as we go along from top to bottom. It's already top-heavy, but I, I really think the bottom half of that league appears to be coming up. So I think D'Antonio and Michigan State will be a potential job to watch. Of course, we saw, we've already known USC is probably going to be open. I know the media has canned Clay Helton at least 20 times this year. When will it actually happen? Probably after the year, but I assume it will happen at some point. I don't think Urban Meyer's taking that job, FYI. I'm not saying he can't, not saying he won't, not ruling it out entirely. I just don't think he winds up taking it. The Florida State job opened up yesterday. Willie Taggart finally got the got the axe. He's out. Urban Meyer is not taking that job. I saw a bet online list of candidates, or maybe it was Bovada or both. I can't remember. But I did see a list of candidates for possible taking over at Florida State. It was the who's who of coaching past and present. If you've been a big name coach, you were on this list. I don't see a lot of guys flocking to that job because that administration is a mess. I'm not sure the name has the cachet it once did. 
And it's kind of a shame because Florida State did have some talent this year. They should not be an under 500 football team. They had a lot of four- and five-star guys on that roster. They're definitely underperforming. But that will be an interesting job to watch. Oregon got the better end of that deal, by the way. Willie Taggart leaving for, for Tallahassee. Oregon is in so much better shape now. So they got, they got lucky with that transition. But the, it will be interesting to watch what Florida State does. I don't think Urban Meyer is going to wind up taking a job either out there in Los Angeles or in Tallahassee. I think Urban will stay on the sidelines and continue to do a phenomenal job as a Fox broadcaster on the big noon kick, kickoff coverage. He's doing a fantastic job. I think that is keeping him content. That's all he's trying to do is he wants to coach, but he's trying to stay content, and he's doing a great job on Fox. I hope he stays there, although it would also be nice to see him on the sidelines again at some point. But for right now, I think USC is going to have to go in a different direction. Florida State will go in a different direction. I kind of tend to expect a Tennessee-like coaching search for this Florida State job. We'll see what happens. That's going to do it for Locked on Buckeyes today. Don't forget to tune in tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. Locked on Buckeyes is on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, including Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or by saying, play Locked on Buckeyes on your smart speakers. Catch me on Twitter at KYLAM8. Catch the show on Twitter at Locked on Buckeyes Singular. That's going to do it for me. Hope everybody has a great day. Join me again tomorrow. We'll talk some more Ohio State football and Ohio State basketball as they tip off in their season opener against Cincinnati. Have a good one, everybody.